Hello, this is Chris O'Regan, and you're listening to The Sausage Factory. episode 356 of The Sausage Factory. Welcome. In this episode, I tap to Jory Ryan of Creator Create Games about their procedurally generated object-focused puzzle platform game, Creator Create. Yes, it's quite a mouthful. And Creator Create is a very special game. It's a game about matter. And it matters that you understand it's about matter. Because you can play little robot thing that can turn matter into other matter at a whim and it's sentient and it, you are basically imprisoned because you realise that it could be quite dangerous to have around but rather than you know just accept your fate you break out of prison on this space station that's orbiting the earth and then run rampant as you run around or jump around, I should say, just absorbing things and using those things to get out of the space station. And it is procedurally generated. These, these, there's a modular sort of sense of, of design that's been imposed within the creation of the space station. It's layout. It's never the same twice. And this adds a massive replayability, of course. But it very much is a puzzle game yes there's a lot of dexterity and that kind of thing but ultimately you're trying to link a to b via f and then possibly l to get to where you're going it's really clever really well done really well put together of course because every game i feature on this show is well put together so without further ado let us listen to me from the past to Jory about this extraordinary game. Chris, take it away. Jory. Hey there. Who are you? What do you do? All right. So I'm Jory. I'm the developer of Creator Crate. It's an intense action platformer about an appliance that's um, escaping from a massive circular space station. Yeah. So, um... Yeah, so right, that, so that's, the... that's, that's where that's where you we, 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 that's the thing we're going to be talking about in depth 
in the second half. Mm-hmm. But yes, creative create is that's why we got Jory on because it's a thing you need to experience. Trust me, everyone. But so as far start? as yeah, how do you make your start? Right, lighting video games. So as far as who I am, um, so this is my first big video game. Um, I was mostly self-educated through high school. Like um, my parents kept me out of school with the intention of homeschooling. But like, you know, in reality, I mostly just read library books. And um, I don't know, it worked out all right i got into college and um it before that um i made some games with adventure game studio and these games um they weren't really adventure games so one of them was like a platformer about a lesbian couple that travels across an inhospitable world in a rover and you'd like get into a space suit and go salvaging scrap and your air meter was always ticking down. And I made another RPG with Adventure Game Studio. And like I had to really bend the systems in there to make Adventure Game Studio not be about making adventure games. And I also did a lot of level editing for Duke Nukem and Wolfenstein uh, 3D, um, which was, you know, other early stuff that got me into game development. So in college, um, I studied fine art, um, drawing, but I really wanted to keep making video games. And I decided my passion wasn't really in traditional art. And my college just didn't really offer anything in the way of digital art. They didn't offer anything in the way of game development. So, you know, I made the hard decision to leave and just focus on learning game development on my own. And after a few projects that didn't quite go anywhere, I started Creator Crate. Um probably a bit more than seven years ago and I've been making it ever since. And wow. um, I'm just releasing it now. It's coming to Steam and HIO on August 11. Yeah, so, this, this, so pe- future people, by the time this show is released, that that'll be a while. So it'll be definitely be out by the time this show is out. So yeah, we're, we're talking to future people then. So maybe yeah. there's flying cars. We can hope, right? <laughs> don't know. Yeah, and uh, yeah, so yeah, it, it's uh, it's. The, I'm really looking forward to when we delve into detail. But seven years—that's I mean, that's the thing about yeah, making like of games. As, it, as far it, as I'm concerned, we're we're kind of living in a cyberpunk dystopia already. <laughs> but it doesn't look as cool as it looks in Blade Runner. No, we, we really no. we really need a better art designer. Yeah, the whole big sort of um tyrell corporation sort of pyramid thing it's uh yeah that's 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 a, mm-hmm. that's, that's a place and i still remember when i was a teenager when that film came out and just being blown away by the uh art design the visual and the and the, and the score let's listen oh yeah the score it was a fine and then you realize that oh, absolutely gibberish and 
let's just stick with aliens instead. But no, that's a whole discussion for another time. Because 1980s sci-fi is a, that's a thing, isn't it? It's a thing. Oh, absolutely. In fact, I genuinely believe you can slice 70s sci-fi and 80s sci-fi, and it's so distinct. I mean, for me, 70s sci-fi is like Silent Running, which is a really dark and very sad film. And uh, whereas oh, 80s, absolutely. Uh, it's, uh, yeah, sorry, I could go on. You can hear my enthusiasm. Oh, yeah. but, um, you know, can I, um, actually, now that we've started talking about it, can I um, talk a little more about, like, the the old sci-fi aesthetic? Because it yeah. does relate to Creator Crate. Yeah. So in addition to programming um, Creator Crate, like I'm also the artist of it. And I do find myself really drawn to old science fiction designs right. and also old technology designs a lot when I'm making things. Like um, it, even simple things like if I'm going to design a computer and put it in the game, I don't look at a modern computer because modern technology all converges to look very boring. Like modern phones are just rounded rectangles. They are but now, if you yeah. really go, yeah. Yeah. if you really go back, they're just so interesting to look at because the early forms really had to show the function of the machine. They're just, um, You're right. you know, they're just but, brimming with dials the, and buttons. Even the older kinds mobile of wires. phones, the older cellular phones, mobile cellular phones, they're like, you know, Nokia, Nokia, it's like 3310, wasn't it? Everyone had one, right? Mm -hmm. Everyone had, a, or they had the Motorola Razor. I didn't get that one because I didn't, I didn't like the mechanical flip because I knew it was going to break. And so I said, no, I'm not going to bother. But, uh, yeah, you're right. They just they they exuded, and you're right. The original phones they had these. Right. You know, we use the word dial, but no one dials anymore. But there was an actual mechanical dial. <laughs> right. So that's something that I just find myself thinking a lot about as as an artist who makes sci-fi things. Is that sometimes technological advancement in the real world works against making things look cool? I don't know. It's just interesting. And, and I feel like it shapes the way that Creator Crate looks a lot of the times. Yeah. Yeah. Which is incredible. It's almost as if you can see the next question because it does, it, it links to that. But, uh, and I think you've answered it already, but could you just tell us as a creator, what are your biggest influences? Right. So I, I mean, that does definitely relate to the visual style of it. Mm. Yeah. Uh, um, there are a few other ones. So um, as far as um, game design goes, at Creator Crate, um, I'd say I've come to describe it as having roguelike elements. So it's procedurally generated and you have the option of permadeath. So you die and you go right back to the start. So it takes a lot from roguelikes, especially Spelunky. But um, it's not as focused on character, like um, different character builds as a lot of uh, roguelikes. But instead, what it puts in the place of that is um, fast-paced problem-solving as you go. So... 
you're always thinking on your feet to um, figure out different ways to overcome like five different things that are trying to kill you at once. And um, every situation is set up so you can use different items to disarm the traps that are in each room. And, um, you know, you can have different objects with you that will help you in different ways. So it's designed to really help players. Um, it kind of is a spelunky style of problem solving where it really lends itself to this feeling of the player being clever and feeling like they're almost getting one over on the developer for coming up with their own solution and thinking of that. something... Yeah, thinking of something that maybe wasn't even there before it's just there for them yeah, and absolutely. reading the situation and figuring out how these systems are going to work in the moment to get them through the situation so so i'd saying, say yeah go oh, on. You're, saying you're, you're drawing from the emotion of feeling victorious over the creator of the thing that you've been made and we've all had that i mean this is personal memory. I remember playing Pitfall on the Atari 2600, all those eons. It might have been in television. I can't remember. It's one of those early consoles. Mm -hmm. And I just ran left. I didn't run right. Absolutely. Because that's what you're supposed to do. Your, your little character, your little man, is right on the left-hand side of the screen. And your reaction, your instinct, oh, I have to run right. No, don't do that. Let's <laughs> go left. And when I did that, I thought I was going to crash. I was going to... No, it didn't. There's another screen. It's an easier screen. You get more points. It's great. It's easier. It's actually easier when you're on left. The game never tells you this. It's never revealed. It's just like, I thought I discovered this new thing. And that feeling of like, I've outsmarted the person who made this amazing game. But I didn't. because the, Yeah, the absolutely. And that's a wonderful thing to be drawn to, to be inspired by, to say, you know what? I want to make something like that. I want to fool the player. Not fool. I'm not going to, I'm not going to keep treat them like fools. Far from it. I respect them. But I'm going to create environments to make them think that I'm going to outsmart the creator. And you've done that. Because you've mm. definitely done that. Now, let me give you an example of that. Certainly. Sure. So, and this is from, um, I don't know, a year or two ago earlier in development. So objects are a big part of the game. Some of them are tools with special abilities. Some of them are furniture. And um, the player has an arm that you can use to pick up objects. You can throw the object. The object never stops being a part of the world. So it keeps having a collider. Um, it can, like if someone shoots a bullet at you and the piece of furniture is in the way the piece of furniture absorbs the bullet and you don't take that damage but um in this story like one of the people who was play testing the game um she was using a dresser and she threw it onto a an electrified floor and jumped onto it and then jumped off on the other side. And she um, got through a few more traps this way by just cleverly using the furniture um, to her advantage. Yeah. 
Yep. And then she came back to me and said, there's a problem with the game. Furniture is overpowered. <laughs> and, um, and, you know, I said, no, this is exactly what the game is supposed to be. How can I get all of my players having the experience that you just had? Yeah. And, uh, you know, that's been the goal ever since. That's, that's a, a laudable one, a laudable goal. So you've done it. You, uh, yeah, it's just uh, for me when I see those 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 um, those like electrified f- floors, I just think, well, as a kid, what if the floor is lava? You know, the, that's what you do. Mm-hmm. You use furniture to clamber over to the next piece of furniture because you couldn't st- get on the floor because if you did, you die. You know. And so yeah, it's uh, that's oh, absolutely the, the, the logic tracks. So my next question is this. What developer do you most admire in the industry and why? So, um, you know, I'm, and I'm going to, um, say this because I have more of a personal connection to him and, um, actually, no, I'm sorry. Can I, can I just start this whole sentence over? By all means, um, look yourself up. That's fine. Okay. So I am um, near the start of Creator Crate's development, um, probably before I even got into it. I got into playing Nuclear Throne. And Ooh, I've, right. um, I, it's probably the game on Steam besides Creator Crate that I have the most hours in of any game ever. It's probably up to like 300, um, maybe more. And, um, you know, it's one of the games that got me into this in the first place. And it's just so incredibly addictive. And I'd say the reason for this is... Flambeer just did such an incredible job in refining the game feel absolutely um, beyond all limits. And like, it just feels just right. It absolutely keeps you in the moment start to finish. And it's just so satisfying to play that game over and over and over again. It's it's basically the perfect game for me, and but that's that's not really the reason. Uh, that's part of the reason. But um, then, like, I look up. Okay, who made um, Nuclear Throne? And I find out that one of the developers is Rami. I think his last name is pronounced Ismail, but I might be mispronouncing that. But Rami is actually a fantastic guy, and um, you know you should you should follow him on Twitter. He's you know he is um, just um, absolutely great, and he really really cares about helping new developers and um, fighting for important issues, and like. Earlier this year, uh, probably near the start of this year, I saw that he had a um, offer to help out with consultations for 
you know, small developers who need some advice. So, you know, I took him up on that and I um, scheduled a call with him and I just said, you know, I'm getting ready to release Creator Crate. What should I be doing? And, you know, he was just so nice and so down to earth and easy to talk to. And he had such great advice. And, you know, I just admire him so much. Not the first time that his name has been spoken of affectionately and pointed out as the person. Oh, yeah. And he gives gives great lectures, too. Like, um, just an all-around great guy. Yeah, he starts off from the position of empathy. That's why he is the way he is. Um, And that's something not a lot of people do, which is sad. Um, But he... He knows what it's like to, to struggle against uh, adversity and uh, those who don't understand, least of all, are, are very uh, rel- relatively young uh, medium, although it's getting older by the by the minute, of course. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, a lot of people you know, still don't quite understand the medium. And it, it, it still bothers me how video game coverage in mainstream media is slotted under technology. Why? Oh, Yeah. <laughs> Right, it should be art, right? It should be under art. You don't do that to, you know, movies, do you? you, you know, but anyway, it's, it's, a, it's a debate. <laughs> yeah, that, that's a decades. great point. Yeah. But um, no, I've got a lot of time for him and his work. He's a very, very good game developer. Exceptional. He's not. Oh, absolutely. You know, so he, he does know. And you're right. It, uh, yeah, it's good to get some guidance from him. That's, uh, he is a, a force of nature and a good one. A good one. He's one of the good people. And I've been I've been following him on Twitter for many years and uh yeah, he's uh, I've encountered him many times both at PAX and at Rezd. So uh back in the days when we could do PAX and Rezd. Although I understand PAX West is happening, but I'm not going no. Oh, no. Oh yeah. Oh not ready yeah, for that. I, mean, I wish double, I could go. Yeah. I mean I've done been double vaccinating everything, but I actually went to an expo a couple of weeks ago. Actually no, a week ago now, and sadly I got pinged there, you see. So so mm-hmm. that's, never mind. Everyone's wearing a mask, and we had all—you know—it's all—it's meant to be all sort of secure, but turned out maybe not. Never mind. Um, oh yeah. So I mean, it might have happened when I got on the train there. Who knows? Who knows? Point being, well, that's last, a shame. Yeah, it is. But never mind. Last question of the first half. Here we go. Ready? So absolutely. What are you playing right now? So the game I'm uh, that really has me hooked right now is Noida. So, um, you know, that's not really a surprise because it's another roguelike um, and I'm really into roguelikes. But Noida is just absolutely hitting it out of the park with um, with just um, emergent gameplay and physics-based systems and it's doing things with physics simulation that seem like they really shouldn't even be possible as cheaply as they seem to be doing them and um you know it's just absolutely engrossing and um uh, that's not the only reason so like beyond liking roguelikes i also have some other preferences that work their way into creator creator into how I designed creator create as well. 
Um, so I have a big, big preference for a lack of meta progression. I um, really like it when there's a set goal that stays the same while while you struggle to achieve it and you know you learn things along the way and you use those things to achieve the goal and that's not the same as not having difficulty settings um like i um don't mind at all when game like i think it's a great thing when games have them and create or crate has them but you know that's a little different from when the game um continually increases your power as just a matter of course instead of you know you going into a menu and deciding to change the setting um and um i don't know noid has just been incredibly addictive for me and i'll I'm sure I'll keep playing it for a very long time. So just for the listener, in case you're not familiar with Noiter, um, you might be living under a rock. It's an extraordinary game. It's very, very popular. But uh, it's a 2D side-scrolling, platforming, destructive scenery game where you can uh, manipulate the environment by setting fire to it, flooding it, exploding it, then setting fire to it, then setting fire to it again and exploding it, imploding it, that's a good thing, uh, or indeed turning into a chicken. But it's fine. Because you're okay, because it's noiter. Um, but it's um, no, it's extraordinary. It, just, it embraces. It says you need to drink in the chaos. It's okay. The mm-hmm. chaos is fine. Once you embrace that, you're about I don't know a fifth of the way there. <laughs> uh, is that a fair oh, yeah. description of it? Because I, I oh, absolutely, it. and also yeah. um, very focused on material and fluid and gas simulations and yes. ignitable gases yeah. and like picking up flammable fluids and moving them to other places and lighting them on fire and just all kinds of different magic systems. Let's just say it's a CPU heavy game. <laughs> oh, yeah, I'd say that's fair. Because it's like all oh, these numbers and interaction with other numbers, and oh boy, poor, poor spreadsheet. You can feel it groaning now, but it's awesome. You know, so it's it's great. We can we have computers that can do that now, whereas back in the day, not so much. Um, oh, so, I, sorry, absolutely, yeah. So that's the end of the first half. So we uh, move on to the second half, but we uh, delve even deeper into creator crate. Oh, yeah, let's do it.
don't. First question. Regular listeners will be well aware. Isn't a question. It's known as the Zeroth question in that great Asimov reference. Yeah, more sci-fi. There you go. You're welcome. Um, which is this. What is Creator Crate? Could you tell us? Right. So Creator Crate is... Um... It's a chaotic, fast-paced platformer about an appliance that's trying to escape from its makers. And in the game, you've got this grabby robot arm that you use to pick up objects, and you can throw them at enemies. Um, You can pick up a dresser and use it as a shield. You can pick up a person and use the person as a shield. You can also eat objects and use their matter to create other objects. And also the game takes place in a massive circular space station. And um, I think especially developers will be interested to know that the circular shape of the levels isn't a shader trick or anything like that. The levels are literally generated in a gigantic circle. And this had significant challenges in development. Um, Generating the levels in a circle means that the curvature in each room is different from from the curvature in the room above it. So that means that each block has an individual shape. And the runes get narrower as they approach the center of rotation. Yeah, that is. And also gravity changes, isn't it? Oh, that's right. So um, the gravity is stronger near the outer edge of the space station. So um, you can get ripped out into the void of space. Whereas when you're closer to the inner um, part of the rotating ring, you can really jump higher. Yeah. And there's also uh, a sense. Sorry, I just love the fact that all of a sudden your sense of where you can go alters. It's just like getting a new ability in Zelda. (laughs) Absolutely. So there's also a central non-rotating hump. And once you make your way there, um, the gravity goes away and you can jump from wall to wall and run along the walls and you can float in the middle of rooms and um, throw objects and propel yourself with the recoil of firearms. That's exactly pretty much it. It's a lot going on, everyone, but once you get used to it, and uh, it does require mouse and keyboard. Well, not require. It's preferable you use mouse and keyboard because the precise aiming <laughs> of the arm is quite important because you want to grab that thing. And when you're sort of jumping over lights and you, you jump near a light and you grab the light, you can use it as a swing. It's great. It's great. Uh, once you get used to that, you really are flying around the maps. And um, my first design question is this. Could you explain the concept of using matter as a universal resource in Creator Crate? How did that come about? Why? How, how did that idea come to pass? And that you thought, well, matter is never destroyed; it's just changed its, its, its state. Is that the concept you were aiming at? Yeah. So I'd say that um, that idea probably came about um, 
Wow, no, a whole lot of stuff in Creator Crate was inspired from things that were important in my life around seven years ago when I started development. So I was really into 3D printing at the time. And um, I was doing a lot of designing 3D printed jewelry. So um, some of the stuff I'd use an online service called Shapeways where you send it in and they um, like print out a metal pendant or ring or something and send it back to you, uh, you know, using the 3D model that you made. Um, and I also got a home printer and, you know, those are really fun to watch if you've ever seen them. It just wears away all day printing out one layer at a time in plastic. But also, um, it, you know, I've, I read a whole lot of science fiction, which also inspired the um, shape of the space station, the rotating ring that spins to generate gravity instead of just a Star Trek style gravity generators where it's a flat plane with, um, you know, just a mysterious technology that keeps the gravity going. Up there with inertial um, dampeners, how and, do they work? <laughs> uh, what's that now? Inertial dampeners. So, oh, like, exactly. Yeah, it's like, oh yeah, you just, oh yeah, we just, because I've seen the all five seasons of Expanse now and like, yeah, that's how space travel is. <laughs> it's terrible. Right. <laughs> right. So Creator Crate is a little bit more like The Expanse. Yeah. Where it's a design that basically could work in the real world if, um, you know, we just advanced a little bit more. But it's not doing anything that breaks the laws of physics as we understand them. So... um you know, I also read a lot of hard science fiction that um, involves things like self-replicating um, microscopic and sub-microscopic machines that transform matter into other objects. So, you know, all that stuff was kind of floating around in the air. And I thought it would be really cool to have this as a player ability and, you know, it's also a really terrifying player ability because um, I think a lot of the comedy in Creator Crate comes from this disconnect where the Creator Crate, you know, Creator Crate's the f- intro scene is this really banal uh, commercial for this home appliance where you just kind of put put this machine on your kitchen counter And it makes like a coffee machine if you need a coffee machine. But um, what the Creator Crate does is like this terrifyingly powerful process of grinding up anything in the world and making anything else. (laughs) And, you know, one of your abilities in the game is you can just like snack on people left and right. Yeah. And and then you can try to make them again, but I won't spoil it too much, but they no. don't come out right. No, it doesn't end so, well. It's, uh, it's it, like Mr. Know, Fusion from Back to the Future. It's like it's just like that, only it produce, rather than energy, it produces other things. 
Yeah, yeah. So that's, I think that's where the real, um, that's where the real slapstick comedy of the game comes from is like this, this attempt to turn this horrifying power into something marketable and tame and, (laughs) you know, not having it work out. Yeah. So it's basically alien. So anyway. (laughs) Yeah, basically. You know, I'm I'm an okay guy. This worked for the company, but really, I'm an okay guy. Anyway, um, (laughs) I want to talk about navigation now because you've already mentioned this circular sort of space station, and uh, this is my next question to you. By the way, it's quite important in Creator Crate. It really is. Um, Well, how have you found communicating to the player where things are relative to where they are in the space station? What what kind of things have you found to (coughs) give them pointers? You go, maybe. Maybe you should go here, uh, or indeed, you know, because I found that uh, during the tutorial, which I love, whenever I play a game, I always go to tutorials because they, uh, the fact that they exist, is really important because they're terribly, terribly hard to make. Many developers shy away from them, expect the player just to figure it out, which is not entirely fair of a game like Creative Create because of the myriad of options that you have presented to you that can be overwhelming. So I'd just like to talk me through the creation process of the navigation of Creative Crate, please. Oh, absolutely. So um, teaching the player how to play Creator Crate is the number one hardest thing I have ever done in game development. And it's an on, I will say it's an ongoing process. Um, so... Uh, let me go back to the beginning. So, like, there was a time in development before any kind of tutorial existed. And as you can imagine, um, I send playtesters in there with, like, a sheet of, like, a sheet of a text document or something with commands and they'd have no idea what was going on. So then the next thing was I made like a postage stamp sized room at the start of the game. And that had posters on the walls. Okay, here are the controls. Here's here's how you eat a thing. Yeah, maybe here's how you throw an object. And they bounced off of that just as hard. So um, then I said, okay, I'm going to sit down and do this right. So um, that's when the tutorial that you've seen started. So, um, you know, you go in and there's scientists talking to you every step of the way. And um, the first thing, I guess, is you can't count on people reading the things you tell them. So you need to be redundant about it and design things so that the lessons that you're providing might be picked up even if the players aren't reading. Like, if you want the player to jump, then um, maybe you can tell them to jump but it also helps to put um, a wedge there so that the players aren't going to get anywhere unless they're jumping. The other thing is players get overwhelmed 
and they get annoyed if you tell them to do things that they already know how to do. So, like, if if they've played a lot of platformers and you're telling them, uh, okay, now jump here, and they already know how to jump, then the player's going to quickly say, um, all right, these, these scientists are telling me useless things that I already know how to do. I'm just going to ignore them. So then um, the player's going to progress a few rooms, and then um, they'll get to a part of the tutorial that's about a mechanic that they've never seen before because it's unique to Creator Crate. And they'll still be ignoring the scientists because they made the decision a few a few rooms back to ignore the scientists. So, um, what uh, the, the solution to that is? I don't tell players to jump unless they've been sitting around in that room for um, I don't know maybe thirty seconds without getting over the ledge. And the same thing with climbing ladders and walking and stuff like that, because a lot of players going in there already know the basics. Um, yeah. I also try to be kind about hard things. Um, like some players just struggle with things like throwing, um, and they'll just never get the rest of their lessons if I absolutely require a throw. So, you know, I let them through the room if they, they're just not quite picking it up because I don't want to hard lock them there. Um, and let me think what else is important there. I also try to reinforce things later and not absolutely require the tutorial. So another big, very important thing with teaching the game has been non-tutorial pop-ups. So, um, like when you start the game, if you get injured the first time, you'll get a prompt to um, press down plus jump if you've never healed before. And, you know, this is an unintuitive thing that um, a whole lot of players were totally missing. Um, and, you know, I tell them how to do it in the tutorial, but um, it, even players who went through the tutorial um, usually didn't remember how to do it. And after I put that pop-up in, um, players were way, way more likely to keep uh, healing when they needed to heal. Yeah, the amount of times I would encounter a new area, get into a new area, new area, check how many hearts I had, and go, I've only got one. How's that? I must have got hit by something. Because the game... Just so I go, okay, I'll better heal up then. I just knew how to do it. And it's very, it's a big event. It's a big event when you heal up because there's sparks and things and everything's flashing. Because <laughs> it's like, well, he's, you know, creator crate. I say he, they, is, um, they are, you know, doing a major thing. They're turning something into, from, from matter into energy to, to restore their, you know, to repair themselves with little nanobots, probably. And that's what I'm imagining. Oh, yeah. Anyway. 
So it's a, it's a big deal. It's an, it's an event. Yeah, and it, it, also, I mean, it also leaves you vulnerable for a moment. Yes, it does, which makes perfect sense. Because you're stop, stuck still. So that's why I always, when you know, I'm about to enter a new area, like, okay, am I good? It was just like, you know, Dark Souls. That's what you do when you go oh, into yeah. an area. Like, what's my health like? Oh, come on. Or worse still, what's my stamina? Oh, damn it. Fine, you know, that's, that's another, um, I think that's another unusual decision I've made in this game that I want to talk about briefly. Sure, sure. Is there's, there's a lot of, matter in this game right um there's just tons of furniture you can get you can snack on your enemies constantly so it's almost like everything is made of health potions but in the same it's also a really difficult game so it's something where the situations get out of hand quickly um but you can also recover quickly so um I don't know. It's just something where um, it's hard in the moment, but it's also easy to. Um, it it doesn't keep you down for a long time. Yes, that's quite important. Speaking of obstacles and keeping one down, Crater Crate uh, has a lot of obstacles to it that basically present prevent presents uh, a maze ultimately that's all it is and the player has to navigate their way through that how have you found designing and creating the algorithms and the, and the maths and the underlying engine that uh, makes sure that what's seeded is a is a functioning level that interacts in a, in a way that uh, matches previous uh, uh, or uh, and what I'm trying to explain here is the creation of the environment or the world or the space station, I should say. Can you talk us through how have you gone through yeah. that process? So, Crater Crate, um, like I said, the closest game is Spelunky. And um, like Spelunky, Crater Crate generates its levels out of pretty small chunks of pre-designed content. So um, it's made out of rooms that you don't really feel like you're in a room. You feel like you're flowing through a connected level start to finish. Um, whereas like in something like Binding of Isaac, you kill the monsters, the door opens, you go to the next room, you kill the monsters. In Creator Crate, you're just moving seamlessly um, all the way through. And the way that I designed this on the back end is I draw it and I stop me if I'm getting too technical, but like I draw out image files and um, each color in the image corresponds to something in the level. So like a red color is an indestructible block. A green color is a destructible block. A pink color is an enemy. And some of them, some of these colors are like entrances to the rooms. So then I put all of these in the folder and the game, um, you know, sorts these so it knows what kinds of maps it can put where. And then it generates a path of these. 
uh, from start to finish in each level. And Creator Crate kind of does have levels. It, um, like, almost everything you're moving through is procedurally generated content. But there's a few key rooms that never change that are kind of between levels where, um, you know, you get to a checkpoint, maybe you see a little um, cutscene where scientists are talking to each other or something, and then you start moving through another procedurally generated level. And um, usually I have a pretty good idea when I'm designing the rooms. Um, the player is probably going to be entering on the left side and coming out on the right side or, or vice versa, depending on the section. And um, I also started out... Um, I started out years ago generating my levels a bit more maze-like and less, um, you know, with more branching paths and more dead ends and things like that. And players would get absolutely lost in them. And, um, you know, I realized along the way that when you're actually you know, from the player's perspective, when you're moving from room to room in the heart of the game, um, just finding the path forward moment to moment, it feels more complicated than it is. So you don't need as many dead ends as you think you would. Right. And that's that's the trick, isn't it? It's that making sure the player experience isn't one of one of frustration and uh, as magical as procedurally generated is and um, i'm liking it to a a sliding puzzle from uh, many eons ago we had a little puzzle and sort of slide things around and you you created these discrete sort of maps that interact with each other like a like a, a seamless sort of like texture that can just wrap around each um, other and yeah it's clever now, I also wanted to say that, um, like, the advantage of this approach is that things in the pre-designed rooms can interact with each other. So, like, an enemy from one room can chase you to another room. A gun turret in one room can shoot out a wall in another room. And, um, you know, there's a lot of emergent situations that come out of this. And, like, one of the items the player gets is a vial of acid that lets you melt through walls. And you can get some pretty interesting shortcuts this way, where you find a destructible wall somewhere in the level that lets you cut through a significant, like, knot in the level design that um, it cuts out a good chunk of your path through one of those levels. And I think that's going to be really give some really interesting options to speedrunners and things like that. Oh yeah, yeah, that's a it, it's quite revelatory when you when you encounter that. But oh, I don't have to go all up there and then back down there. I can just go through there. Huh? Kind of like a reminds me of what we were talking about earlier, like the pitfall moment. Oh, just run left. <laughs> exactly. So, last question. I know, all good things. Let's come to an end, and here we are. But I want to talk about something that's much more subtle 
or may be more obvious depending on your point of view. The size of Creator Create, Creator Create, sorry, um, is um, he's relatively small. They are sorry, relatively small compared to everything else. They they are you know density and that kind of thing. People talk about physics and stuff like that, but they are quite quite small, and they move very very fast when you get going. They can really the the, the speed at which uh, Creator Create goes at can be quite quite something. Why? Absolutely. Why? Yeah, so that is a great question, actually. So I think, um, okay, there's a simple and a complicated answer to that, and I really want to get into it. So the simple answer is because that's the kind of game that I enjoy, um, I get impatient when I'm playing a game and the character moves slowly and I get very engaged in a game when things are happening quickly, dangers are coming at you quickly. And I enjoy the thing that I enjoy most about a game. One of the things I enjoy most about games is feeling that I'm I'm powerful as a player, and my power is pitted against a powerful world that's acting against me. And um, I think that's much more engaging than feeling like, you know, than the inverse situation where you're slow and powerless and the world's not doing much either. And, um, like, going back to games like, um, like Mario, I think that's one of the reasons why Mario is remembered as, it, why it's stuck around so long as being so different and so revolutionary for the time, is that it was faster than the other games of the time. And, you know, it it flowed better and went faster. And I think, um, you know, maybe that was even hard to get used to, but it stuck around because that's a very engaging experience. Um, as far as why the player is so small... For one thing, um, it's a story about an appliance. So, um, you know, I wanted it. (laughs) I wanted the player to be the size that you could imagine. Um, You know, when you crouch, you go into crate mode. So you could imagine the player like that, sitting on a kitchen counter, spitting out cups of coffee all day. But also it... It gives you, you know, even though I just talked about being a powerful player character, I think you you also kind of want the sense that you're the scrappy underdog. So it, even if you have a lot of abilities, these humans are kind of towering over you and you're in their world and everything is against you. So... It, um, it's more exciting if they're all bigger than you are. 
Um, and also just from a gameplay perspective, I think small player characters work well because it leaves more space for other things going on on the screen. Um, you know, because after a while, it, the player character is always on the screen, so you just tune it out after the first 10 minutes of gameplay, whereas the other things around you are always changing and you always need to pay attention to them. So those need to um, it take more of the focus. Yeah. It's, it's really, it's a, a very wise decision because it does keep you completely engaged because you feel vulnerable, yet you're immensely powerful. Once you figure out, once you figure out the latter, you actually use your size to an advantage, uh, which you can. Oh, absolutely. And, um, you know, it's interesting because just from a pure gameplay perspective, being small is an advantage because it means there's less space for bullets to hit you. Even though in real life, like, you know, I'm small, maybe I'm less strong or something. In a video game, um, you know, being shrunk down is actually a power up. Yeah, as odd as that sounds, it generally is. Doesn't work with um, Arkanoid though. Anyway, when you're oh, yeah. smaller, that was always annoying. That's funny. When that was hilarious. Like, yeah. Oh, power up! I mean, oh, going back... power down. No. I mean, going back to Mario, when you get big, you're more powerful. But all other things equal, being bigger is more surface area for things to hit you. Yeah, like you know, Gallagher. Where you get the second ship, and then you go, Oh, look, I can shoot things. And oh, no, they blew it up because there's more of me. So it's just annoying. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Creator Crate, which is de uh, developed and uh, published by uh, Creator Crate Games, uh, is out now uh, for Windows, PC, and Linux. On um, is, that Lin is that true? I understand. It is going to be on Linux too. That's what I read. Yes, absolutely. And. Um... It's been like it's been developed and published on Linux. Mm -hmm. So, um, like over the years, I've switched back and forth between Linux and Windows, and I just absolutely love open source software. And you know, I'm very happy to be able to publish for Linux as well. Yeah, yeah. So, it's been wonderful having you on the show. Um, yes, and thank game. you so much for having me. Yeah, um, you're more than welcome to come back because we do have a lot of return guests. And uh, oh, that would be fantastic. Chat about whatever next is cooking up and stuff because I'm sure you've been working on something at the same time and uh, eager to to release that eventually. But uh, we'll be here. Oh, definitely, we'll be here. But uh, in the meantime, thank you very much. Well, thank you so much. You have been listening to the Sausage Factory podcast, part of the Cane and Rinse Collective. Support us for just two US dollars per month at patreon.com forward slash Cane and Rinse for early, extended and exclusive podcasts. Find us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Twitch, YouTube and at our website, caneandrinse.com.